Thanks. It's a delight to open um, the Bible with you. We're going to continue looking through our series on discipleship, um, being devoted imitators of Christ. And we turn our eyes to mission and what I hope we see today is that knowing Christ leads to making Christ known. They can't be separated, but knowing Christ will mean we make Christ known. And it's a great time to look at mission, I think, as we've heard with Easter coming up. And also, as last week, we met our new Link missionaries, CNL. And we heard about where they're going and why they're excited to go there. Um, but as to what they're doing, well, our passage today sums it up pretty nicely. So if you keep Colossians 4 open in front of you, Colossians 4 verse 3 says, um, they are proclaiming the mystery of Christ. That's how Paul describes the work of a missionary. I wonder if you've thought about it like that, proclaiming the mystery of Christ. But what, what does that mean? Well, it's not about trying to solve a difficult riddle. It's not a theological Rubik's Cube. I love Agatha Christie novels, but this is not, the Bible is not one. It's not full of red herrings and garden paths. No, um, proclaiming that the mystery of Christ is to make clear what the message of Christ is. That's why um, after Paul says this in chapter 4, he requests, he asks for prayer, not for clever arguments, but for clarity, that people might know Christ. But it's also a term that shows us that personal trust in Christ can't be separated from mission. Um, What do I mean by that? Well, the mystery of Christ has come up a few times in the book of Colossians. Um, Paul mentions it three times earlier in this letter. In chapter 1, we won't go look at it now, but you can look it up later. Um, Chapter 1, verse 26, and in verse 27, Paul takes pains to show that the mystery is both for the Jew and the Gentile. It's for all nations. And in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul outlines his job as making the mystery plain so that all may know Christ. Um, Understanding what Christ is, who he is and what he has done means knowing that Christ is for all nations. They can't be separated. So Paul wants the Jews to know that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah, the one talked about in the Old Testament, and he wants the rest of the world to know that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, for all. And once they do trust in Christ, Paul immediately calls them to tell this to others, to share it. John Chapman was known to say that the, the first thing you should do with a new believer is to teach them to share the gospel with others. That's the biblical model. The message of the cross cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved, it's the power of God. Because when we understand Christ and once that's clear for us, well, we see that Christ is central to bringing about God's mission plans, his great salvation plans. And um, when we look back at the Bible, which we are so blessed to have, we see that global mission, that all nations may know Christ, has always been the plan. The Bible is the story of God drawing people to himself. Um, It's in lots of places, but we heard it so clearly, didn't we, in Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day by day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all people. It's not just in the Old Testament, but when we get to Revelation, we get this beautiful picture of people from everywhere united in joining in praise of Christ. Revelation 7 shows people from all nations joining to shout praise and glory, wisdom and honour, power and strength be to God forever and ever. 
Amen. It's large in scope, God's mission plan. It goes through the whole Bible and it culminates beautifully. Um, And it's going to be such a wonderful time that we look forward to. Revelation also takes um, time to show us the beauty of it. Again, Revelation 7, it says, The time will come when the people of God will never hunger, never thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe every tear from their eye. That's the destination. And it's clear and certain that this will happen. Revelation ends with the words, I am coming soon. And I've heard it said that missionaries aren't so much going out to fight a battle, but to proclaim a victory. It's there all throughout the Bible, but we don't see that until we see Christ. So when Paul says, Um, He comes so the mystery of Christ will be made plain. He is working to this great end. And so to see our part in the mission, we too need to turn again to Christ. Um, And we do so in Colossians today. And we see um, a great movement from Christ to mission uh, all the way throughout the book. So I know we're just focusing on a few verses in chapter 4, but I hope you'll forgive me if I try to summarise the whole book in four sentences very achievable. No, no, it's going to be done poorly, but you'll see it up on the screen. Chapter 1 of Colossians, um, maybe it's not up there, sorry. There we go. Chapter 1 focuses on the truth that all is Christ. The the creed that we read earlier, um, that was from Colossians 1. He's the firstborn. All things were made through him and for him. In him things hold together. He's the head of the church. He has supremacy. Things are reconciled in him. Everything is because of Christ. Because all things belong to Christ, we belong to Christ, and chapter move 2 moves to show that knowing Christ transforms you. It changes you. You were dead in sin, now you are alive in Christ. You are clothed in righteousness, being built up in Him. It changes us. Chapter 3 works to show what this means, shows that it changes our intimate relationships. It looks at the household in particular. We submit and serve each other because in doing so, it is Christ we serve. And then by the time we get to chapter 4, Paul shows us that this actually changes everything. Knowing Christ transforms the world. And in God's great kindness, we have a part to play in bringing things, all things to Christ. And it's to chapter 4 that we look. And here we see that all are included in the call to speak Christ clearly. Yes, it's for those sent out into the mission field, but it's also for those staying put. It's clear, it's instructive, and I think it's exciting. Um, And it begins with the simple command to pray. Paul reminds us of the power of persistent prayer. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, we looked at prayer across our services last week and the importance of being dependent on God in prayer as it is him who acts and that's still the case this week. Um, It's no accident that Paul begins here. It's God's mission. It's God who saves. It's all dependent on God and just as um, knowing Christ is tied to gospel proclamation, gospel proclamation is paired with prayer. The preacher Dick Lucas summed this up saying all effective evangelism begins with persevering prayer. Prayer is not the last call of the helpless, but the first call of those who are held in Christ. 
men in their 80s said um, that they were sad because they couldn't get out and about anymore. All they could do was pray. Prayer is the gospel in action and we believe in the God who answers prayer and when Paul asked the Colossians, the Colossian church, to, to partner in mission with him, the first thing on his lips is prayer. Being bold in mission is to be bold in prayer. And many missionaries have experienced being upheld and comforted and encouraged by the prayers of others. So we do pray for our missionaries. Um, Pauline beautifully prayed for our missionaries and and lots of other things just earlier and that's what Paul requests. Um, Verse 3, pray for us too, he says. Uh, And it's remarkable what he asks for prayer for, isn't it? He gets God's mission. Um, Specifically, Paul prays for open doors. Now, this is remarkable because one verse later, uh, well, not even one verse later, at the end of that verse, it says that, for which I am in chains. Paul writes this while he is in prison. He is literally behind a locked door, but what he asks for is not for his cell door to open, but doors to the gospel to open. While in chains, help me proclaim the gospel, he says. This is the, the sick person who asks for healing but also prays, Lord, use my suffering to open gospel doors, to see the lost saved. Um, an older friend of mine was um, ruined how many doctor's appointments he had. Then he decided to see them as a gospel opportunity and he, he went to his doctors and the doctor gave him good news and said, you're as fit as a trout. You might not have used those words but thereabouts. said, you could live for another... 40 years. The man replied, "Um, yes, but what about my eternity? And they went from there. Our situations are all different, but ultimately um, we want God to use whatever situation we're in to open doors to tell of his salvation day by day. Uh, We don't have to look too far away, I think. There are plenty of open doors and doors to be opened here in our city. And so a good first starting point is to pray for open doors, for the gospel to go into the mall just down here, into businesses all around us, into government housing and to keep praying for the things we already do to that end. Pray for our Jesus Club that takes the gospel to adults with intellectual disabilities, for our youth groups which take the gospel to our teenagers, for scripture taking the gospel into schools, for explore courses, for our link missionaries, for our English classes which take the gospel to the nations that come to us. And we are very privileged here, aren't we, to have many nations come to us. There are no shortage of gospel opportunities where we are. Um, It's good to keep praying that the gospel will be proclaimed clearly in Wollongong and Coromel. We also want to consider, I I think, which doors here in our footsteps right close um, that we can walk through, that we can take the opportunities to do. Um, Because it does matter. If you think about the Colossian church, it only exists because of a little-known man called Epaphras, who we see mentioned at the start of chapter 1, who took the gospel out boldly into the city of Colossae. Um, And if you're unsure of of what it is or what there is to do around here, well, I'd love to talk to you, please. Um, As you heard earlier, I've been freed up this year to that end and I want to see us all boldly taking the gospel out, heralding the victory of Christ. Um, And as we pray, Paul has two more bits of um, wisdom for us. He says, we pray watchfully and thankfully. Uh, Watchfully, um, 
indicates that we do so with awareness and deliberateness. I don't know if deliberateness is a word. Brilliant. Um, It brings to mind to me, I think, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus' disciples are told to be watchful so that they don't fall into temptation. Um, And earlier in Colossians, in chapter 2, Paul warns them, again, not to fall victim to anything contrary to the gospel. He wants them to be alert to anything that points them away from Christ and I think we too need to pray continually, watchfully for faithfulness, that we will never move away from Christ. We will keep coming back to the great truths of Colossians 1, all is Christ. And we pray thankfully with praise as we recount the good works of the Lord. Um, Tim Keller in his book on prayer wrote that because of the character and work of God, all prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experience it traverses, ends up in praise. Because the victory won through Christ's completed work on the cross. And Paul models this. Um, Again, remember he's in prison, but he begins the letter to the Colossians with thanks. In verses 3 to 6 of chapter 1, he thanks God for the Colossians' faith in Christ, for their love. And then he moves to thanking and praising for our certain hope in heaven, for the gospel, for the way that the gospel is bearing fruit in the world. That was 2,000 years ago and the same gospel continues to bear fruit today. So we pray, but gospel proclamation is, it doesn't stop there, nor is it just for the chosen few that are sent, but it's for all of us. Paul insists that not only do we talk about others to God, not only do we talk to God about others, but we talk to others about God. Got it. It's verses 5 and 6. Paul has words for the church. Um, Please in proclamation what it looks like. Verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The Colossians were not just to appeal to Paul to do the gospel work for them. They had to engage in it themselves through wise actions and gracious conversation. And it matters. Um, An extreme but encouraging example is um, Will Horton, who was a preacher in Chicago in the 1940s. Um, Around this time when he moved there, there was a sceptic. The sceptic didn't believe that the lives of ministers lived up to the message that they preached. He thought they were hypocrites. And so he did the normal thing and he hired a private investigator to follow Horton everywhere. The private investigator followed Horton around, he tracked him and watched him and then reported back to the sceptic and the man was amazed. The preacher's life was above reproach. The way he spent his time and his money reflected the message of love and service that he preached and the man became a Christian. It's not an encouragement to hire someone to follow me. I'll be watching. No, no, sorry. Um, It's a great story, um, but I think the the message there is when our conduct is consistent with what we speak, that commends the gospel. Of course, verse verse 5 and 6 here, um, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, they assume that we do know people who aren't Christian. A recent study showed that one of the biggest blockers to people sharing their faith is that we don't know people who aren't Christian. Let this passage direct your gaze outward And maybe for some of us our next step needs to be um, to to get to know people who aren't Christian, be involved in the community in some way. 
As for our speech and conduct, well, if you're like me, you might have read verses 5 and 6 and thought, that doesn't seem heaps easy. Wise in actions, gracious in conversation, making the most of every opportunity, having speech seasoned by salt. It's a big ask. Um, There's almost a bit of a tension, isn't there? As much as possible to please outsiders, to be thought of well, but we must never live to please man, um, but God. And so we need wisdom, and particularly we need wisdom in speech. And we get some guidelines in these verses. Um, If you want to later look back earlier in chapter 3, there's heaps of gold there about just this, about what it means to speak graciously and to act wisely. Um, Don't lie to each other, it says in verse 9, and uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things there that would be good to, to read. But in verse, uh, chapter 4, in verse 6, there's a, a few words pointed out that will help us. Um, we can always speak graciously. Our conversation is to be gracious, not combative, not gossipy or slanderous. It assumes the best of others and seeks their well-being. I heard recently about a man who worked in a secular job His uh, job with his company was to interact with other companies. And one day he had a meeting with a man from another company and his boss sat in on it. And as they left, the man's boss said he had never seen such a positive and well-functioning relationship between his company and other companies. And he asked what the secret was. And um, the man said, he he hadn't read one of the, the, the secular help books. He said, I follow the example of Jesus my Lord who came to put others before himself, even dying for their sake. So whenever we speak, whenever I speak with people, I want the best for them. I care for them. So we speak graciously. Um, We also speak salty, saltily. But this doesn't mean um, speaking like a crusty old sailor, which is what you might think initially. That's what I thought at least. Um, But salt made bland food appetising and it preserved it. And I think they're the, the characteristics Um, that we're meant to take from them. Our speech should be different and it should leave an impact. Um, And with these things as well, it's probably good to note that these things are for everyone. It's not just the charismatic few who are particularly articulate. Um, That's not where this all comes from. No, it all comes from the message we have, the gospel. That's what we all have that's different. It's the, the mystery of Christ made plain. That's what's salty. That's what has lasted and will continue to. That is the truth that cuts through all else. That's what reshapes and forms and challenges every topic, thought and idea. The gospel applied to context makes the thought-provoking food. And it's good to think of um, places where that's the case, where that happens, or where that's possible in your own life. Uh, thirdly, we speak preparedly so that you know how to answer everyone, verse 6 ends. Um, to be ready for every opportunity, we think about how to make the gospel clear to different people, to listen for a gospel moment which we can move to Jesus and speak helpfully into. Um, I was recently walking with a friend and we got talking to someone at a bus stop. They were just waiting for the bus and in the course of conversation, it came up that this person had had a hard life. They lived in a rough street, in a rough suburb, had a lot going on, he'd experienced much hardship and at one point he rued the fact that so much that had happened to him was left unpunished and he said, I sometimes wish God would just put his finger down on those who do evil. Just put his finger down. He was asking for God's judgement. Now my friend was alert and prepared. 
He saw the opportunity and he took it. I totally agree, he empathised. There's heaps wrong with the world. I totally understand your desire to see God put the finger down on those who do wrong. In fact, I'm so thankful that God already has put his finger of judgement down. But not on those who deserved it, like me, because then I'd be in trouble, but on his own son who never sinned. See, God does care about justice and he himself has given the solution and he will fix things. Um, The conversation moved on after this, but I suspect whether the man had bemoaned evil or praised himself or trusted in science or wherever the conversation went, I think my friend would have been ready, ready to affirm what is good, to show something better, to speak with charity and saltily. Um, And it's really a simple message that he was prepared with. It's the gospel, the same gospel we all have. It's the gospel that changes everything and when our minds are centred on it, well, we can speak into every situation and to every person. Um, As an aside, uh, I once heard another person recently say that they could get in conversation um, in one minute from the topic of Love Island, the TV show, few knowing nods about what Love Island is, a few distinctly unimpressed faces. Don't go to too much effort. It's one of those terrible reality TV shows. A bunch of people go on an island to find love. You get it. Um, You could get from Love Island to Jesus naturally in one minute. Maybe that's a challenge you could give each other over supper. Can you? Yeah, no. Um, You can ask me how we went later, um, but I think the point that we're trying to make is that um, Jesus is for everything. Um, Jesus has something to say to trashy TV, let alone things of substance. The repeated refrain throughout Colossians is all is Christ and if we mean that, well then Christ has something to say to to everything. Um, What I really love about this short passage we've looked at is that it affirms the, the great role of missionaries, those sent out by the church to do the role of speaking the gospel in places where it's needed most and it exhorts us to pray for them for open doors, but it encourages the rest of us as well. We all have a part to play in God's great salvation plan. And whether you're in your secular workplace or um, at your desk, whether you're at a sporting match on the weekend, whether you're retired, whether you're in a uni class, well, you can make plain the mystery of Christ. Where can you commend the gospel with your actions and speech? Um, For me at the moment, I was thinking about this to be specific, Um, perhaps it's when I'm sitting next to a pool watching my kids' swimming lessons. I tried this clumsily last week. I was talking to a a grandma whose granddaughter was in the same class as my daughter and she was um, saying how how many good things she had in her life and for whatever reason, this may be a terrible example, I decided to use the word blessed lots in conversation. I said, you've been really blessed. You've been blessed. Um, and she picked up on that for a little bit uh, and after a while she asked me about it and we got talking. Anyway, I don't think anything came from it yet but um, swimming lessons, who knew? It would be good to think about um, for yourselves. Um, is it with your school friends that you can commend the gospel? With housemates on the sideline at the footy match? Um, the options really are endless and I think that that is really exciting. Really exciting even when it's daunting And of course, as Paul rightly says, we need prayer to do that. So I'll pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we 
praise you now as we look forward to joining with the angels in praise in heaven. Um, To know Christ is to make Christ known and so we ask you for boldness. We ask that you will open doors for us and that you will help our speech be gracious uh, and faithful. Work powerfully through your spirit and your people to bring many to Christ. All is Christ and it is in his name that we pray. Amen.